everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, it is Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. I am your very, very happy hostess and terribly glad that you are here with me today because we are kicking off a series that I am so giddy about you guys. I mean, we've been dreaming this one, this one up for some time, as you can well imagine, uh, because today starts for the love of books. Woo! I mean, this is like my favorite thing. It's my favorite subject. It's my favorite thing to talk about. It's my favorite thing to do is read. So we've been working on this series for some time and you are going to love it. Um, absolutely love it. We have such an amazing lineup of guests um, and all across the spectrum. And so I'm super thrilled about my very first guest. And so um, we were thinking maybe the way to kick off the book series is to have on a first time author, like somebody who's just right out of the gate um, with a very first project. Let's like start at the very beginning. And so I am so happy to have back on the show, my very dear friend, like a sister, kind of a friend, Jessica Honiger. So Jessica, by the way, is our very first repeat guest in a whole year of podcasts. First repeat guest, first time author. So Jessica, um, if you've been around me for half a minute, you already know all this, but she is the founder of Noonday Collection, which is this fabulous, socially conscious fashion brand. Um, anything you've really ever seen me wear jewelry wise is Noonday. So I don't, I don't know what I would wear without it. Um, and, and it's a, I mean, guys, this is a no joke company. Like Jessica was named Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year in 2017. Um, in 2015, she was number 45 on the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies list. Um, she's been up for so many awards, Austin 40 under 40. I mean, she's the real deal, you guys. And so what I'm excited to tell you about is that she has written a book that is so good. It's called Imperfect Courage live a life of purpose by leaving comfort and going scared. I mean, who doesn't need that message? This is really for all of us. And so, um, we're going to talk about the book, but we're also going to talk a lot about the writing process. What was it like as a first time writer? What was it like to strike out? What was it like, um, to edit? What was it like, um, ultimately to release it? And so, um, I'm excited for you to hear from her, especially all of you aspiring writers who is like, who are really, really interested in the writing process and the publishing process. We're going to unpack a ton of that, um, over the course of our conversation. So Jessica lives here in Austin, where I live, um, with her husband, Joe and her kids, Amelie and Holden and Jack. And she is so great. And I love her so much. And so you guys welcome back to the show, Jessica Honiger. Okay. Hi friend. Good morning. Hey Jen. Are you living your best life right now? Yeah, I'm living my best life. Like I used to say that I was a fall girl. Like I like the fall and I do for a lot of reasons. You and I are the same football, you know, we love all that. Um, but I think I've come to terms with the fact that I am a summer person. Um, I'm, well, when you I, have a I live for right now. Yeah. Lakes will convert anyone to be a summer person. And frankly, it's just yeah. the hotness is just stayed 
longer. So we it really goes in October now. So you, it's hard For to be sure. a fall person in Austin these days. That's a great point. Like when people are going to their first football games, we are also going to our first football games, but we're having heat stroke. I mean, it's <laughs> like sweat through your clothes, disastrous oh heat. So, right. So November it's really like, starts. It's fall. like the thighs, the thigh sweat is too horrible <laughs> to wear a dress that would technically keep you cooler, but you have to wear jeans because otherwise your legs would like just be like blistered by the end of the day. Oh my gosh. I have, I mean, this is exactly my theory. You are describing, people will say to me sometimes, why are you wearing pants? I'm like, so I don't chafe the skin off the <laughs> inside of my thighs. Like, I don't understand why you're not. I just discovered Jessica listeners. We're about to jump into the real stuff, but listen, this might be important for you. If you're hearing this, um, my friend from church just showed me this. It's essentially, gosh, what is it called? Surf butter. Yes. Surfers use it. Yeah, what, like you, you put it on the inside of your th- yes. yes, I can't believe it. It's just like all of a sudden they're just swishing away. Swishing. <laughs> <laughs> it takes them getting used to, but I had no idea that this existed. There are all sorts of, it's like deodorant for your inner thighs. Yes. There's, there's this surf butter. Uh-huh. There's, oh my gosh. Powder. There's hope <laughs> for the non-thigh gaps of the world who live in sweltering oh heat. So if you don't take anything away from this podcast about books, just we, <laughs> Jessica and I are here for you. Now, listen, this is really fun that you're on today for a couple of reasons. First of all, we're going to talk about your new book, which you know already, you already know how I feel. Um, we're going to talk about you being a first time brand new author, which is so fun because this series of course is for the love of books and you you bring such a special niche perspective, um, as a first time author and third, and this is a real big deal in the course of this podcast, you are my very first returning guest. And I just want to know how you feel right now in this historic moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel extremely grateful because I get it. I have a podcast and yeah. I know that there are hundreds of people, interesting people to interview in the world. And I know that this takes up a precious slot in your podcast schedule. But what's really cool <laughs> is that it's really full circle because I was right smack dab in the middle of finishing up my book when we yeah. had our last interview and it helped unstick me. And now here I am on the other side to say I survived. Love it. Love it. So I, I'm really grateful. Thanks for thanks for having me back. So last time we talked about Noonday, when your sort of entrepreneurial journey, since then, you've started your own podcast, which is so good. It's called Going Scared, which is a phenomenal title. Um, and so you primarily feature guests who tell their own stories about moving out of their sort of comfort lane and into lives of courage, kind of all across the spectrum in a, in a ton of different ways. And as we've mentioned, you have now written a book and it's called Imperfect Courage, Live a Life of Purpose by Leaving Comfort and Going Scared. It's such a great title. Um, So I would love to hear you talk a little bit about how the title, literally Imperfect Courage, of course, in it, you were really telling the story of Noonday. Um, But how does that whole concept, that whole idea of um, going scared, apply to your decision to write a whole 
book, a book full of words, and you've never written a book before, and you didn't have any big aspirations to write a book when you were younger. This is not like your big dream that you always saw coming. And so what led you to the point where you're like, it's time to write this down on paper, um, and I'm going to take this leap? Well, you were right. I have never viewed myself as a writer per se. I mean, I may have won a poetry competition one time in the eighth grade. Okay. Stop asking me about it, you guys. Oh my gosh. I had a little bit of AP English. Okay. So I definitely was stronger on the verbal. I mean, at least yeah. triple on my SAT scores on the verbal. <laughs> <laughs> but like I never grew up thinking I want to write a book. I right. didn't honestly, that's not really what motivated me to write yep. this book was like I want to write a book. I and I think growing up, I at one point wanted to be a an actress. I at one uh-huh. point wanted to be a Broadway tap dancer. I had a sure. little phase of wanting to be the president of the United States. <laughs> but I definitely went through a phase of wanting to be an international journalist. And Mm. that's really how I approach this book as a storyteller. And I'm not a writer. I'm not a writer's writer. I love good writing. You know that. I always... Designing yeah. you books. Oh my gosh. I don't remember if I mentioned this on our last time during our podcast, but listen, Jessica one time sent me a, a, a biography on Abraham Lincoln that I promise you was a thousand pages long. <laughs> like, Jessica, <laughs> well, I don't, I can't read this. And she's like, no, it's the best book. I promise you it'll go fast. I'm like, no book with a thousand pages goes fast. fast. Well, anyway, you've probably seen books. I have. And, you know, yeah. that book in particular, are all of Abraham's, I, love, I just called him Abraham, like good old <laughs> right, like President Lincoln, <laughs> President Lincoln's letters to his wife and to his cabinet and his speeches. Honestly, that was a real pivotal moment for me reading that book because that's when I realized he labored for hours over his speeches. And then he would gather his cabinet together to deliver his talks before going and giving them. And it was this moment of realizing the power of communication, which I know that we all know that, but I think seeing his commitment and the time that he spent really in giving his words, um, really creating a story and get, made me realize there is so much power and I want to hone in on my communication skills. Uh-huh. So I think there's this combination of, I see myself as a storyteller. Yeah. And over the last eight years, I have been able to be in thousands of women's homes across America. I've been yeah. able to be in the homes of Guatemalans, of Rwandans, of Indians, of Ecuadorians, of Ethiopians, huh. of Ugandans. And I don't just pop in and pop out, but I'm, I've actually been walking with people for seven years and I've been able to see their lives change. And I saw this thread over and over again, as I am walking with people from literally all over the world, all different backgrounds. And there's this theme of fear. And I think that when we come face to face with fear, we really have two choices. We can choose to be brave, which I say is simply going scared, or we can choose to sit on our couches and watch a lot of Netflix and drink a whole lot of wine and be paralyzed. And it's funny because I talk a lot about how 
we can do all the things and we can be this and we can be that. But actually there's certain things that you, you can't actually have the choice. Mm-hmm. You have to choose. You can't have the both. And as I got to know so many women and, and men and families really around the world, I really wanted to be able to elevate and advocate and share their stories. And so I really approached this project as more of a journalist, I think, than mm. a writer. And I also, a couple years ago when I was in the middle of trying to figure out how to go about this, I remember I was reading Rising Strong and I remember Brene sharing her book writing experience for Rising Strong. And she had said previously in all of her books, there were these processes she just dreaded because it was like Mm. she'd go away and she would just labor alone for hours. and. But for Rising Strong, she gathered a group of friends together. They, I don't know, went to her lake house or whatever, hung out, and then they would talk and verbally process, and then she'd go write. And that got me really excited because I am, collaboration is my middle name. That's the whole middle part of my book. It's all about how we're not meant to go alone. We are not meant to go alone. You know that that's like the song that I sing. And I did have this image of book writing as like, go to the cabin on the lake alone, right, you know, totally. and yeah. just labor alone. And I'm just, that's not how I work. Even at noonday as the creative, you know, chief creative officer and all yeah. of the designs and all the things that we do, I do it with a team. So the first yeah. thing I did, aside from getting an agent, which you completely uh-huh. made that introduction, you and Shauna. Yep. <laughs> And yep. I love my accent. I love them. You have a weird, deep well of author friends. Like, well, yes, I do. Which mean. was a little bit intimidating. Was it? Um, you I think it's it was awesome. intimidating. Well, okay, you're right. I know. See, that is the positive spin on it, Jen. That, <laughs> no, it is so awesome. It was intimidating when I'm having them actually read my book to endorse it. Okay, that's like, fair. Yeah. But no, it was awesome. And you know, it's funny being a storyteller, I am captured by stories. And you even shared the whole story in the background about the agent, Chris, my agent that you introduced yeah. me to. And that's what sold me on him because he had this total underdog story and he yep. stood by a client even when it was yep. really hard. Exactly. And I thought that's the guy for me. So I did I did get an agent. And then after that, I knew I needed help. So I hired a writing coach and yeah. I wanted a midwife. Yes, that's a great word. Yeah, I just wanted a midwife to help me birth this thing. I mean, I didn't have yep. my babies by myself. Yeah, I actually had my baby at my house. With, oh my with gosh, midwife. you're so hippy dippy, <laughs> golly, so Austiny. I'm a hippie in high heels, though. <laughs> you so are. That is so fair. <laughs> and so I went on the search, and I interviewed. Gosh, I probably interviewed eight to ten people and talked yeah. to them about their process and. You know, there's there's people who will actually write a whole book for you, and then there's people yeah. who will help you outline. And and I really needed that that something in between. I also have a content strategist who's been on my team for five years, who's walked with me, who's been one of the chief storytellers at Noonday. So I would go overseas and I interview the artisans and I find that thread and I find yeah. the story and I understand where we want to start and where we want to end. And then she would help me actually write that, you know, for blogs or whatever. And then I have this other friend who had been my corporate strategist at Noonday. She had to step back from that, but she, she's seriously one of the smartest people I know, Harvard business, just Mm -hmm. really linear thinker, yeah, super linear and 
very concise. Like she's able to take oh my gosh. 30 pages and then say, oh I think gosh. this is what you're really trying to say and say it in one page. And you and I are terrible at that. Brilliant. Like brevity is not our long suit at all. No, <laughs> at all, <laughs> at all. And and when I say I assimilated a team, yes, one of those people was being paid and one works for me, but Lindsay was just a friend. And and then in the middle of that, I had other people, Melissa Russell said, hey, I'll read it for you. I would text you every now and then, like, I'm stuck. I mean, I even have samples of sentences. You're like, no, change the sentence to this. So I, for me, it was when I was able to think about it as not being a solo process and that I could have other people that journeyed with me, that really made it exciting for me and caused me to be able to, to move forward. And, you know, we really got to stitch these stories together. I felt like I have this vault of stories of transformation where people decided I'm not going to let fear win. And that's, that's what I got to piece together. So I feel like a vessel, honestly, I do. I feel like, I feel like I just get to be a vessel of these stories. And then I got to work with sort of finding that thread Uh and that message that I then wanted to bring to the world through these stories. I love that. I really do. And I, I like hearing that too, because you touched on something that is fundamentally true, which is that there is this idea that writing a book is such solo work. And to some degree, parts of it are. Um, and if you're a certain type of author, maybe the whole kit and caboodle is. Um, but it's so... Um, I'm thinking about everybody listening to you talking right now who's got a story inside of them. Uh, maybe they're in your shoes, which is like they don't necessarily consider themselves they don't want they don't want to write a book because they want to be a writer. They want to write a book because they have something to say. You know, they have a mm-hmm. story to tell like you do. And so it is actually a huge fat relief to hear somebody like you say, "Listen, the first thing I did was start calling in the troops." Yes. You know, like Let's let's bring in who I know. Let's bring in other thinkers. Let's bring in other creatives, um, other just good readers. I have a stable of people like that too, and um, it, it doesn't. Ha- I think that that takes some of the pressure that that releases yes. the pressure valve a little bit out of getting started, um, mm-hmm. which the getting started part is just bananas. So I do want to talk a little bit with you about the actual writing process because at least parts of it, I'm just going to say, are brutal. And <laughs> just like brutal, brutal. Like sometimes in the middle of, of writing, I just can't believe I've chosen to do this on purpose. Like why, why, why? And you know, I drag you into my drama anytime I'm nearing a deadline and I just am so melodramatic. And it's, if you're melodramatic, you should probably just be an author, everybody. Like that's your right path. Um, but it's not for the faint of heart, this work. And so um, it, it's, it really is hard work. And there's a just a period at least where you're sort of sucked into this vacuum and it's the only thing that you can focus on. It's the only thing you can think about. And then of course, as our families, you know, kind of left at home, everyone is essentially, I don't know what, fending for themselves. It's like Lord of the Flies. Um, <laughs> totally. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit, even, even though, because what I don't want people to hear you say is that you sort of had... Um, you know, uh, a, a book doula, you know, who helped you sort of craft and 
And so then therefore you weren't really doing a lot of the writing or work because that's not true at all. It's a huge labor. And frankly, sometimes managing other collaborators in the project is even more work. Yeah. It's not less work. It's more. Um, and so I wonder if you could talk about the writing process a little bit and how did you approach it and how did you restructure your life? Cause you have a full dadgum time job. Yeah. And it re- it's a lot of travel and it's not like you're just sitting around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how did you approach writing and making time for it and adjusting your schedule and not losing your mind and all of that? Yeah. I think the actual pulling away part is what I loved most about it because my life is so back-to-back meetings and traveling and inspiring the forces and... I did have to cut back. I, you know, I literally couldn't carry on with my job simultaneously. So I was able to work with my executive team and with the directors at Noonday and reposition some of my time or hand over some things or skip out on some meetings and then just get sort of the um, update later. Um, My business partner was key in supporting me and, uh, you know, giving me the space to be able to do this. And I loved it because I've been running at such a fast clip. Yeah. So pulling away and just getting to think, because I feel like the thinking to me is almost more crucial than the writing. And so I think for me, it was so much about the crystallization of the message. And you don't know when that is going to occur. Right. And that's what's crazy about the creative process is you can be running an errand to the grocery store and literally like the idea for chapter three suddenly crystallizes, you know? And I think for me, I had to have margin in my schedule just for thinking, not necessarily to pound it out on the computer because that matters too. But actually to let these thoughts crystallize. And what I loved is I became such a stronger communicator. So then all of my keynotes following that time, I mean, uh, even like the podcast I did with you, I was like, Uh wow, I was super clear on that podcast. And it's because I hadn't had four meetings leading up to it. And you know what I mean? Like I had been writing. And so I think that is what what I did love about it. And, you know, again, though, the team had to pick up my slack and give me space and take on some things that they had not normally taken on. And I really identify with what you said about creating room to think. So the, that is not something that you hear a lot of writers talk about, but um, especially kind of in, in our sort of nonfiction genre, you just need your brain to have a little bit of a long leash to just think some thoughts and to develop something. And that happens. So I'm in the um, development process right now on next book. So where it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's content development, it's outline development. It is starting to chart the arc and the flow. And I mean, I am a maniac right now because I, so I've, I've put enough things into my brain. Like I've, I'm digested the bits of information that I know I want to be thinking about. So I'm doing a lot of reading and listening. And so what happens, it's so weird. It's this very strange alchemy, which 
you've got the ingredients in your head. You know, you've got the stories, you have the ideas, you have the words that you're circulating around. Um, kind of, you have some long game goals at the end of what you want to say, but you sometimes cannot force it. You just need to mm-hmm. put all the things in your brain. And then at the weirdest time, your brain will give you a fully developed idea. And it, it so always weird. does. It always does. It does. It's that, there's that moment of scarcity, which I have yep. them all the time where you think I will never have another idea again. <laughs> I mean, I, or you think, well, God, that was a really good idea and I better hold on to it, which uh-huh. is you think you're afraid if you let it go. But I will tell you that creativity is regenerative. Yeah, I think creativity begets creativity. And as I began to embrace that mindset and just allow some things to simmer and trust, I mean, you have to trust that it's yeah. going to come. You just don't always control the timing. I love that book, it's, Big Magic. I think that's one of the oh ones yeah, I sent I loved to Big you. Magic. Loved it. It's by so, Elizabeth Gilbert, you guys. It's really for all creatives, not just writers, but she has so much to say, obviously, as a writer herself. But yeah, yes. I read that book before writing, but it is yeah. that idea of you've got to, and then when it comes, because what oh, happens to me is I'll get ideas and I am so thrilled and so excited. And I think <laughs> this is it. I mean, I literally yeah. feel that way. I'm like, this is it. Yeah. Well, then I think, well, of course, I'm not going to forget this because this is so profound. Oh, yeah. And then the next day, I'm like, I know I had it's a gone. Good idea yesterday and I have uh-huh. no idea it's what gone. it was. It's so what weird. Is that is the weirdest that? thing. I don't know if you saw me I write this. I just said this a couple of days ago online um, because I am in, like I just said, I'm in development mode. And so I'm just having to wait for my brain to give me the yes. threads. And I, and I also collaborated. So, you know, Sarah Bessie is one of my best idea collaborator. She is just, that's the way her brain works. And so I, I did this word dump to her. I'm like, here's all the thoughts I'm having. My brain won't give me a good thought on it, but here they are in a one big word vomit. Blah. And I just vomited it all out. You should hear it. It's just a nightmare. And so she comes back in because she's such a creative. Um, and like you said, creativity breeds creativity. And so like, Mm -hmm. I think I honestly like suck some out of her account um, because she, she kind of comes (laughs) back. It'll regenerate. It'll regenerate. She'll get more. Yes. I needed hers. I was depleted. And so she's asking me all these really smart questions. Like where's the wind at your back? And where do you kind of really feel like Holy spirit power in what you're saying? And what is your audience? Like, what are they drawing in for? Like where, when you are speaking, what are the things that they come nearer for? Just all these Mm. such smart, clarifying questions. And so anyway, that was some things I put in my brain. So my brain would also help me or all of her, her questions. And I was in the shower like two days ago in the shower, just washing my hair. That's when my brain often decides to give me some ideas. And all of a sudden, I just, like, it was coming faster than I could. I saw it. Oh, it's it's the fully formed, fully outlined, beginning to end. I mean, I had shampoo in my hair. And I just, as quick as I could, like, I don't even think I got all out. Throw a towel around uh. me. I go running out, grab my phone to just start. Because you do forget. It's weird. You can. So I'm tapping out notes. And Brandon's like, what are you doing? Like I'm, I'm sloshing water all over our bedroom. <laughs> I'm like, shh, don't talk to me. Just, I, it's gonna. I don't. I don't. Don't let me lose the tail. Um, and so it's really. I find the creative process both terrifying and exhilarating. It's so fun when it comes together. It's so euphoric yeah. when you get that moment. But the scary part is, you know, when you're in doubt, wondering if that moment will ever happen. And I think the more you do this, which you've done this a bazillion times, 
you know, on my first time, it was just trusting that that moment would come and that it would come before the manuscript was due. <laughs> Guys, I want to talk to you for just a minute about writing. I know so many of you have a story that's burning inside of you and you know it would make a fabulous book, but you have no idea how to get the thing published. So if you're ready to take the next step to tell your story, I have an amazing person I want you to meet. Rochelle Gardner is a literary agent who has spent 25 years helping authors get published. And she reps, frankly, some of the best writers in the industry, including my brilliant friends, Sarah Bessie and Jamie Wright. Guys, Rochelle offered me my first book contract in 2004. I kid you not. So Rochelle is leading an online course called Author School, and it has one goal for you, getting from pen to published. Author School is an eight-week course that covers literally everything you need to know about publishing, getting an agent, writing book proposals, editing, building author platforms, and so much more. It's chock full of information that you need to know so you can make your publishing dreams a reality. So just for you, the listeners of the For the Love podcast, there is prioritized, reserved space for this course. Thank you, Rochelle. So go to authorschool.com slash Jen Hatmaker and sign up. Registration closes September 11th, guys, so don't miss it. Authorschool.com slash Jen Hatmaker. Now back to our show. So let me ask you this. Um, what, in your opinion, was the most um, the most difficult part of the book to write, your specific book? Like, was there any part that you either kept putting off or that you had to walk away from and come back to or that you had to kind of rework and rework and re- rework? Was there like a – was there a, a part that kept rubbing? You know, it's really interesting because I knew the arc and I knew the end was – kind of bringing everyone to this point of how are you going to bring what you have to bear on the world to make your impact and to build this flourishing world. And I think at the beginning, starting out, I thought that's going to be the easiest part because that's kind of what I do. It's what I love. But I got so stuck. It's actually, I remember Hmm. reaching out to you. Yeah. And I think it's because, first of all, I'm not linear. I'm not a list maker. I'm not a like take Mm. you through the five points. And Mm. at this point, we hadn't done enough of that in the book. And so I knew in order to serve my reader, I needed to give a little bit of like tips, like Mm. here's how kind of stuff. This was one of the big parts in the book writing process was I think I had defined authenticity incorrectly. And I think I thought, because I have this whole section in in talking about schedule, what are you doing with your schedule? And do you have Mm -hmm. a margin in your schedule so that you can meet need if it suddenly arises? Yeah. But here I am writing and asking my readers to build margin into Mm -hmm. their schedule. And I think in my definition of authenticity, I thought, well, I have to have walked through this and learned my lesson and then be perfect at it for the rest of my life. And before I can actually let God use that story, before I can actually share that story with someone else. Mm. And I honestly think that's what prevented me from from writing the book. You know, body image has been a huge struggle for me. And Mm. I write about it in my book and and yet I'm struggle with it still. And Mm. so I think I had to realize it's not about tying the pretty red bow on top. Oh gosh. And then mm. handing it to a reader, but 
letting a reader in on the journey that 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 still was authentic, you know? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I I I think what you just described is a deterrent for so many of us, maybe not even just in writing, but in a in a variety um, of areas in that we have this feeling like we have to have mastery over some concept or over some area of our life before we can talk meaningfully about it, mm-hmm. um, before we can bring it to our communities or to our readers or to our listeners or to our friends and neighbors. And I mean, if we are waiting around until we have like, l- we are literally able to dot every I and cross every T, well, nobody will ever say anything. I mean, in fact, I think there is something marvelously contagious about the vulnerability in a messenger. So I, I'm actually more drawn to a messenger who is willing to say, I like do not have this sewn up yet, or this is still something that I have to flesh out and work through all the time. Or I just, that to me feels more safe and more trustworthy than having somebody sort of act like or communicate that they are absolutely nailing it all. That to me makes me feel lonely and small. Well, and I love what something you said in Mess and Moxie really stuck with me. And it says we don't have to be who we once were. Mm. And there's something so permanent about a book. Mm-hmm. And Gosh. so it does make sense that you would feel a bit paralyzed. Like, well, I don't even know how I completely feel about that yet. So I better not put it out there. But I think, you know, hopefully our messages especially are ones that are helping people to embrace a journey and a process and not just be stuck on a a destination and to embrace imperfect. Obviously, it's in my book title and to embrace the journey and to be compassionate and forgiving both to ourselves and to other people. And certainly this whole writing process has made me a lot less critical of other writers. Mm. That's so interesting. I have a question to ask you about that. As a matter of fact, I, I'm curious if you read now, not just as a reader, but as a writer, if it's changed your sense of solidarity and compassion and grace. Oh, so much of that. So much of that. I mean, it's funny because at noonday, I, you know, in the chief creative officer, so all of the photo shoots and everything that goes into like styling a model and the right outfit and the right pose that captures the right aspirational look that actually shows the earring that with the right scale that goes with the necklace and is the bag in it. So I like, yeah. so is, I can't even watch a movie or like flip through a magazine anymore without thinking like that shot took 15 hours, you know, right there. <laughs> totally. It really does. I mean, I'm in leadership. Okay. You know, we have got, we've done lots of leadership talks together and have um, yep. leadership retreats. And, you know, that's been my big stretch over yep. the last few years. I'm even able to be compassionate towards Donald Trump. I, I think that is so like a, a deep, compassionate thing to say. I was literally, before you said that, I was just thinking as you were talking that we watched this phenomenon with past presidents who were once mortal enemies. They were on opposite sides of the political spectrum. They ran against one another. And yet we see after they are done with their presidency, they're friends and they're collaborators because they deeply understand how hard the job is and how much crap they all had to take. And it's an interesting thing that it really does sort of deepen our, our mercy for one another. 
And I think that's just being brave. I think the more courage you exhibit, the more compassion you're able to access. And what a beautiful thing, you know, what a beautiful thing to, you know, be able to look back on life and say, I chose to be brave. I chose courage. And that ushered in more compassion. And I was able to live a more compassionate life because of it. Mm, I love that. Um, I'm curious about, um, uh, did you draw on any other authors or other creatives or writers um, who whose style you liked or who sort of inspired you in one way or another, either in um, in sort of writing style or maybe in content and messaging? Like, who who were you drawing from during this writing process? Well, I don't know if you have ever heard of this person, but um, Jen Hatmaker. <laughs> <laughs> have you asked this question in this other series and gotten this answer? No, but I do think, I mean, not to be perceived as completely shallow, but uh, like I write these little Instagram posts and I'm usually writing them in my car after I've dropped off my kids at school or I'm at a stoplight or I'm in an Uber. And I wanted to bring that same, like, I haven't overthought this too much approachability. And I think when you're talking about such a hard topic, right, we're we're talking about were poverty and HIV and violence against the poor. And I was so afraid. I think my biggest fear is that I am, I am this vault of stories. I have this treasure trove of stories from people Mm -hmm. that I love and that people were going to skim, like they're going to read HIV and they're going to skim. They're going to see, you know, the, the hard thing of human trafficking and they're just going to skim. And so that was, that was something that stressed me out was like, how can Mm. I write about something hard in a way that's also approachable? And Gary Haugen does a great job of that in his first two books, Just Courage Mm. and The Good News About Injustice. And you you do a great job of that. Tina Fey, I mean, my gosh, her book, Bossy Pants, just, you know, Mm. the problem is I'm not a super funny person, but I'm very self-degrading, you know, Uh like I, I'm able to throw myself under the bus pretty easily. So, you know, I I really did want it to be approachable. The irony is that I really do love big thinkers. Like, you know, Uh I I sent you that 1000 page book of Abraham Lincoln's letters. (laughs) Um, So how I like to read isn't necessarily how Uh I was looking to write. You know, I, th- oh, that's good. I think the main thing is that I, I wanted a reader to pull up a chair across from me at the coffee table. And when I started talking about the hard things that she wouldn't just like, okay, I got to go, you know, mm. I'm going to go scroll now, or I'm going to go mm. check on my kids. Like I wanted to keep her attention and, mm. you know, I hope, I hope I've done that. You did that in the book. You really did. And what I want people to know as they are listening to you talking is that you do for sure as as you, this is your whole life's work, you do head directly into the belly of the beast of injustice and poverty and and what's hard about the life experience of so many of our brothers and sisters around the world. However, you also tell delightful stories and wonderful stories and exciting stories and moving and happy stories. So I, I don't want people to hear you think, oh gosh, this feels like heavy duty because also your book's delightful and it's, it, to me, it's inspiring and it's encouraging and it's so wonderful to see what happens when, when women come together and when they collaborate, when they believe mm-hmm. in one another. And so you did that perfectly. And I, I hear what you're saying. It's, it's a difficult needle to thread as mm-hmm. a communicator 
because uh, you and I both care very deeply about injustice. This is just part of our our bloodstream, and and we're unable to sit it out. We are unable to sit on the sidelines. It's just not the mm-hmm. way we're wired. Um, and so, yeah, like bringing our communities along with us into difficult but important areas of justice without giving them fatigue all the time right. so that they're just worn out. They just wish they were on Instagram. It really is a, a, a difficult skill set that um, you have to sort of find the balance of when do you, you know, pull back the throttle a little bit and tell a funny story. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Wh- or when do you just inject a story that's just full of life and success and victory? Um, Cause you have a ton of those too. And so I hear exactly what you're saying. And I will tell you just as a reader, and I, it's impossible for me to not be biased about you. I, I don't care. <laughs> and I'm not sorry. And I don't care. I'm not trying to fix that. But just as a reader who has, still has a degree of objectivity, um, when I read your book, I loved it. And I didn't, I didn't skim any of it. I didn't skip a paragraph. I'm so glad. I hold these precious stories, you know, and they are, they're all redemptive. I mean, that is the point of sharing them. And that is why this was the right time to write the book, because I've been able to see people emerge out of poverty and already change the legacies of their families and ultimately their communities. And I mean, that's so inspiring to get to read about. And um, I just had had to take that risk and- and also the, you know, you did, you did, you nailed it. I promise you, I'm not, I'm not just telling you that because I love you and I love Noonday and I love your work. <laughs> I mean, you really, the, the amount of work that you put into this book and I know it. I mean, I was with you. I have this memory right now of you had sent me a, a, pe- a whole portion of the book that you were just, it was sticky and you just couldn't, you'd gotten some, some pushback with some of your collaborators and you were trying to find the right way through. And I was at the dentist. Do you remember this? I was at the dentist with my kids yeah. and like all four of them had a dentist appointment at the same time. And I took my laptop out and sat on the sidewalk on the outside of my dentist office. And you and I just fleshed it out. We just worked yes. through it on the phone and, and found it. And so I just want, what I, I want everybody listening to know that you worked really, really, really hard on this and you did not mm-hmm. take this lightly. You were not careless with other people's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you fact checked with everybody around you on practically every word you wrote. Like, is this your experience? Am I telling this accurately? Is this fair? Um, is, is my memory right? And so what you get, the end result is this wonderful book mm-hmm. full of courage and truth and inspiration. And I want to talk about it for a second because like sort of funneling into the, one of the just book's well, obviously core theme, it's called imperfect courage. Um, so you're, you're obviously telling the story of noonday, but your book really speaks to anybody who is thinking about doing anything new and taking first steps toward anything foreign and uncharted. And, um, one thing that you wrote, you said, you said, instead of waiting for fear to subside, I had made it my friend because when you've got a vision, You don't have time to wait around for your fears to vanish before you start moving. Perhaps the hero's journey is not for a few brave people after all, but an invitation to me, to us all, to rally our courage and go do the thing we're meant to do. I mean, that's just phenomenal right there. I love that paragraph. And and so I want everybody to hear that this book is for all kinds of people. It's for starters and dreamers and visionaries and creatives. And so I wonder, what would you say to people listening um, to, to sort of 
get them off high center, get them out of the starting blocks to, as you say, live a life of purpose Mm -hmm. by leaving comfort, whatever that means for them and going scared. Mm -hmm. What would be some of your like best practices here? You know, I do think that there is this internal process that we need to go through where we kind of picture ourselves at the dinner table and realize who's sitting at the table, who's speaking at the table. And oftentimes we are not doing what we're meant to do in the world because we're living out of shoulds. We're living out of what our parents wanted from us. We're putting maybe other people's desires really before our own desires. We are living out of how we want others to perceive us. We're living out of a fear of failure or even a fear of success. Right. And I think you've got to get honest. You've got to become aware of those voices that whose origin is fear and not love. Hmm. And you've got to recognize that those voices exist and then hold them up to truth and realize that it's possible that they're liars and you have the power to actually kick them out of the dinner party. You know, they, they don't deserve a seat at your table. And I think that that's really important. And because I think only then can we own, what do we want? You know, then we're really clear. What do I want in the world? What do I want? What is the legacy that I want to to leave behind what do I want to, how do I want to live into love and not fear? So I think we need to get clear around that inner voice so that we can stand up and lean into the voice that's truly ours. It's, I, I read this quote once. It said, we keep crying out to know the will of God without realizing that his will is knitted into the fabric of our being. Oh, that's good. I like that. And so there's it is a time to explore and to know yourself. and then we got to find people to do that with. And that might be one person. And while yes, some people were hired, like there is, there's someone in your life that thinks it would be an absolute blast to help you hash out a book. Because I do think that there is this, you know, only one name goes on the front of the book. Hmm. And so I do think we have this myth that book writing is a solo act, but it's not. I mean, it is not. Even if you're just talking with your husband at the dinner table, I mean, he is a collaborator. So I think we have to find collaborators and not go it alone. Now, listen, if you want to go alone, go alone. But if you think I don't want to go alone, well, this just know that you do not have to go alone. Going alone is a Hmm. choice that you make. That's good. Really in any field, in any, in any field, field in, in anything anybody wants to create or build um, or dream up, there are already people that live in that zip code or are willing to drive to it with you. There, there are. Um, there just are. Yes. There are. And then I think you just have to do the next right thing to, that moves towards your idea and get off the comparison train and own your voice look on the inside, how you're made. What do you have? What do you have right now? Not what did you have yesterday? Oh my gosh, before you had the babies and you had all the time in the world and not, oh, what will you have when you eventually, you know, earn that paycheck that's going to enable you to, or when you have this many followers on Instagram and then you'll finally have your platform and then a publisher will actually really want to do the deal with you. Like quit thinking about what you had and what you will have and think about today. What do you have? Because you have a lot and you can bring that to bear on the idea that you've been given that's uniquely yours. And that's that's the impact. And if you don't move forward, you're just robbing other people. 
you know? That is so strong. I'm, I'm literally, I just grabbed my phone um, because I wanted to, literally, when I, I did my word dump over to my friend Sarah and said, these are, I, I don't, can't find it. I don't know what I'm doing. Nothing's happening. I don't know anything. Um, and then I went down this whole awful rabbit trail of like, it's not, I have these important things to say and I don't think it's going to be managed right. And I don't know if I, is it in trustworthy hands? And I mean, I'm just having a full blown, you know, fit. (laughs) And, um, Sarah said to me, and I had to go back and re-listen to it so I could write it down. But she said, and this, this dovetails into what you just said. She said, don't worry about who's going to serve this book best. Worry about the work that needs to be born and serve that. And I was like, dang, she just read me my rights. Like I was already worried about the end game. Like I'm worried about how it's going to be marketed. She's like, you haven't written the damn thing. Like, why don't you just sit your butt (laughs) in a chair and write some words? Like, burn the book. Yes. And uh, yeah, like serve the work. And that's kind of what you just said. Serve the work, serve the message. Um, And frankly, a lot of the later details, they just, they come when you need them. They, they work themselves out when they need to be worked out. Um, but do. there are so many steps before then that matter, like that deep internal work that you're talking about. I, um, I, I mentioned this at the intro, but I, I wrote a blog a while back because I uh, have so many aspiring writers in my community and, and they have stories that they want to tell um, that need to be told. Um, and so I, I wrote a, a blog called On Becoming a Writer. I'll, I'll link that up, everybody, if you want to read that. But I wrote a blog just is basically this is everything I know on becoming a writer, a few tips on the process and getting started, some great reads along the way. I don't know if you read any like writer books, like Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. I've probably read it a dozen times. I think On Writing by Stephen King is unmatched. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. Several others. But I wonder, like, down to brass tacks. So we just talked a little bit about what it meant to be a creative and to to build something beautiful. But let's talk specifically, if we could just funnel down just for a minute into being a writer. Um, What would be your top advice, having now done it, um, for somebody who really needs to tell their story like you did in Imperfect Courage? What would you just, if you had to just pick out one or two things um, that really mattered for you, that really like put gas in the tank for you, what would you say? Well, I love what you just said, that don't think about the end game. Write your story. I, I firmly believe that everybody has a book in them. I think I would love and be delighted if every single person wrote a book. I mean, it was Mm. such a good experience for me. I think write the book, like write the book, tell the story and don't wait on someone else's permission. And you know what? If there are three people who will listen, can you just let that be enough? I think we're Mm -hmm. like, oh, it has to be mass audience. What if you shared your story to one person Mm. and that changed the trajectory of their life? You know, that's good. I I think that's so great. I, um, it's a discipline to have to sort of capture your thoughts, all those grandiose (laughs) ideas of what does it mean to be successful and what if it isn't successful. And uh, those is a discipline to reject that mean inner voice, that mean committee that lives in our heads telling us you're not worthy of this project or nobody's going to care about it, or, um, it's going to be a flop. Like it's, it's a, it's literal work to say, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to entertain that. I'm going to push that 
fully out of my mind and just serve the work. Um, okay, uh, let me ask you this real quick. This is important for first-time authors. So you're a fashion maven, obviously. Um, so what must-have accessories will you be taking on your first book tour? Wow, our rustic leather. Our our. Oh, oh, you already know. Tell me. <laughs> Our rustic leather tote is the yes. top selling thing in our line. And it, I love because it sits right on top of my suitcase that rolls. Yep. It fits my laptop, but like a bazillion other things. It's like the Mary yep. Poppins bag. Totally. And it fades over time. The color or doesn't actually fade. It becomes richer over time. It actually gets a tan. And it's really fun. So you'll be out and about and you'll see other people with the same tote. And everyone has a different color and a different tone because it's made of goat leather. And so it's just really. Is that the one I have? Yes. It's got the pocket on the front. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so cute. Yeah. And it does. It weirdly fits a lot of things. It does. It does. So that will definitely be my bag. And you and I, we're both earring girls. I mean, the big earrings, the bigger, the better. Mm, hello. And so I have some fabulous, uh, they're called the Mumbai hoop. And I think they're just really oh, yeah. flattering. They bring like a big pop of color right next to your face, which is always yeah. flattering. Hoops are having a moment. So you're going to see oh, me with so lots happy. of big, big earrings. I'm going to be the girl with the big earrings on and the leather back. You know that I'm all the way here for that. So if you're looking for somebody to stand up and give you a standing ovation on big earrings <laughs> and big bags, you are on the right podcast. Um, okay. I'm excited for that. So excited. So let me, we're going to wrap this up. These are questions that we're asking everybody in the For the Love of Books series. Okay. So here's the first one. What's the first book that you ever read that you distinctly remember having like a boom impact on you? They Cage the Animals at Night. I mean, whatever, nonfiction or fiction, whatever genre it was. They Cage the Animals at Night. Oh, yeah. How old were you when you read that? Yeah. He grew up in the foster care system and then like had so many abusive homes. And so he ended up finding a place to live at the zoo. And it just exposed me to the privilege that I had and how a lot of kids weren't growing up like how I grew up. Great example. Okay. How about this? What's one book in your life that you have read like over and over and over again? Okay. It's by our friend and it is the Soul of Shame, retelling oh, the stories that we believe about ourselves by Dr. Kurt yeah. Thompson. I just love how he writes about how we are made to be known and loved, and we are yeah. known and loved. And he always brings me back to grace. He does. Jessica and I spent a couple of days with Dr. Thompson with a few of our friends um, earlier this year, just sort of around sort of soul care and uh, internal development. And he is as he is as good as it gets. Yeah, he's like you're the he's like the uncle that you just always wanted. Oh my gosh, you just wish he was like your next door neighbor. Oh. Um, that's oh. a great one. So here's our last question, and this is a twist on our Barbara Brown Taylor question that we that we always ask: What um, what book has saved your life or is currently saving your life? I think that The Gift of Imperfection Saved My Life by mm. Brene Brown because yeah. it was at the beginning of my noonday journey and I didn't realize that other people were just like me. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, she is um, like, I consider her a prophet in our time. Yes. The the messages that she's brought forth and her her work is just 
unprecedented and so important. I mean, I honestly think she's like changing our generation. Don't you? Is that too dramatic? I don't think it is. No, I don't think so. Um, okay. Listen, I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of this book. I, I really am. I just, this was a labor and watching you do it with such like tenacity and grace and courage and humility was really a marvel. And you should be proud of it because it is wonderful. I mean, it is absolutely wonderful. And uh, tell everybody like, where can they find you? Where can they, where can they find your stuff? Where will they be able to find the book? All of it. They can find me at jessicahoniger.com. And I really hang out on Instagram a lot. And then you can buy my book where books are sold. Hey, sister, thank you for making time for this today. You know, I just love you to the moon and back. And I'm just so for you in every way. I believe in you. I believe in Noonday. I'm proud of you. I love you. All those fun and loving words. Thanks, Jen. Love you. I love that girl. Love her. Cheering her on in every possible way. Her book is out and it is inspiring and funny and smart and really no matter who you are, if you are just wanting to live a life that involves meaning and impact, um, if you're a builder, if you're a dreamer, an entrepreneur of any kind, if you love the world, if you love justice, if you love people, those are all the reasons to read this book. So just pick one. Anyway, I'm super proud of her. Super love her. Thanks for listening, you guys. Um, you're not going to want to miss a single episode of this series on books. So absolutely come back next week. Um, thanks for being fabulous listeners, you guys. Thanks for all your feedback. As always, we listen to everything you say. We're interested in who you are and what you want to hear about. And so we're always planning future series. And so thanks for giving us so many great ideas. Um, and we love you. We love serving you. So on behalf of Amanda and Laura and the whole podcast team, thanks for listening week in and week out and for subscribing. Be sure to share these guys. If you love an episode, if you love a guest, thank you for posting on your socials. Thank you for linking to it. Thank you for talking about it. You've brought us so many amazing new listeners um, and we care so much about you. So it's our honor to do this week in and week out. Okay, everybody have a great week and I'll see you next time. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.